attack is so hard. Tried to sneak it in. Didn't work. I fucked that one up. ID Gen, episode number eight. Welcome. Each week we track down and explore the most exciting stories in crypto, hacks, mysteries, exploits, really anything that feeds our crypto curiosity. Sub Dgens, how are we? Yeah, it's been a good week. How are you doing this week, Zach? I'm doing well, thank you. Yep. Uh, in this episode, we're going to dig into the Audius governance attack. Super interesting. Uh, been about about six days ago now. We're going to look at what happened there. We're going to talk about some weekly news stories. We're going to do possibly a freestyle on an incredibly crazy password manager situation I ran into this week. And then we're going to try out a new little end segment. This is going to be fun as always. Yeah, let's jump right in. The weekly stories and headlines. Uh, looks like the CEO of Sky Mavis transferred $3 million worth of Axis AXS governance tokens just before the hack was disclosed. So we're talking the Ronin Bridge attack. We've covered that pretty extensively. And it looks like Bloomberg. I, I thought it was Bloomberg. Uh, was like looking on chain and, or something and noticed that uh, 3 million were transferred um, a couple hours before the announcement was made publicly, which has led some to accuse them that he or accuse him of, you know, uh, trying to insider trade because he knew the price was going to drop. So get out early. However, they when you know the the PR folks or whoever at um, Sky Mavis said that there's a legitimate answer that he transferred the CEO transferred from his own wallet because he didn't want to tip off short sellers that something was about to go down. Sounds like convenient timing to me if it's not insider trading. Yeah, and they said that he needed he needed to do that ahead so that they had more money to secure loans to potentially help with the mitigation or or something. So interesting, little sketchy, little sketchy there. Definitely strong. Uh, let's see. Second story floating around this week: U.S. senators push a bill to make small crypto transactions tax-free. This would be anything under fifty. Not enough, but it's a good start. You know, you can't even buy dinner for under fifty. What what things can you buy right now for under fifty dollars in this day and age? Yeah, it's getting it's getting a little wild out there. I don't know how long it would take for something like this to actually go through. I would love to see this, even at fifty. But um, it's yeah. a start, baby steps. You got to just get somewhere. If we can get them to pass something on fifty dollars, then maybe it's not that hard to move them to five hundred dollars and five thousand dollars, and then ultimately uh, be able to use this as a more transactional uh, currency. Yeah. So, so what I'm wondering about something like this is if it's tax free under fifty. That means that you're essentially able to get out of capital gains, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would foresee some pretty elaborate systems to transfer money under $50 in crypto. Like if you wanted to get out of 100K, it seems insane. But, you know, you could write a script to buy a bunch of NFTs you know, forty nine ninety nine or whatever you might do to fly under the radar. So it's a interesting premise, and be 
be really uh, interested to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching for sure. All right, FBI detects fake crypto apps scammed $42.7 million. What I found interesting about this article from Crypto Slate was that there were only 244 victims. Yeah, that's what I noticed right away, too. I started doing some basic math and noticing that people probably lost some pretty big chunks of coin. Man, it's it's a jungle out there. Watch your crypto. Yep, it's hard to watch. It's uh, it's unfortunate for whoever those victims are. Yeah, um, there were three three different apps in total that they were tracking and it wasn't clear to me if this they think they were the same operators or scammers behind those three apps, but they were masquerading as legitimate companies. And you download the app, some type of uh, like like an imposter for an exchange, I think was one of them, an Australian exchange, if I recall. And you think you're getting that app and then boom, you're getting your crypto robbed. The next story, South Korean officials concluded a week-long raid in the Terra Luna case. So this is like uh, seven, I think, different smaller crypto firms that were tied and or related to Terra Luna in different ways. And the it was particularly odd, I guess, because you know these types of raids usually don't last a week. But apparently they were there was a lot of documentation they were collecting and they are not happy. It would not be a week in crypto if we were not updating you on some Terra Luna drama. And it seems like this will be uh, unfolding for many weeks and months to come. And so we'll we'll keep you posted on the latest drama for sure. Years probably, right? Yep. <clears throat> it's going to take a while. Uh, another one that caught my eye this week recent swoon in cryptocurrency valuations has quote directly impacted the pricing of luxury watches from brands like rolex and patek philippe i'm gonna not gonna lie i don't know not sure if i pronounce that one right uh, so this is from bloomberg like you serious crypto prices drop and there's a concurrent or residual impact on the luxury watch market i've actually saw that i saw that rolexes were down five percent um in the past month or so and you know it's crypto prices dropping but you know we can't ignore the macro of uh stocks dropping oil going up and all those things too but it's definitely interesting to watch the correlation with these luxury goods yeah interesting so you think that so, so are you saying that maybe it's not just crypto these are correlated to yeah, these are luxury assets. And when we start to get at the beginning of a potential recession, I think uh, one of the first things that people liquidate is uh, maybe a luxury asset that they bought that they was maybe reaching a little too high out of their budget. And when uh, times were good and the markets were, were on fire, then it was easy to make that. But when uh, the, the bear comes in, they, they realize that uh, maybe they don't need ten twenty thousand dollars Rolexes and they might need a house instead. Yeah, good point. So moving into our deep dive for the week, we're going to look at the Audius governance attack that happened about six days ago. High level, like those stories were not, this was kind of a quiet week for, for crypto news. I feel like a lot of that stuff was, was longer running, stories evolving, <clears throat> and uh, but not, unfortunately, the Audius project. So 
Uh, really quickly, from the highest of levels, the TLDR, July 23rd, 2022, Audius, a Web3 music platform, suffered a governance attack. $6 million worth of audio, its native token, were stolen. So, Hunt, you are in the music industry. You've been in it for quite a while. You want to talk a little bit about Audius, maybe? get us sure. off, Kick us off with like what they are, how they work. Yeah, definitely. So... Audius is um, a project from a high level. Um, streaming services are highly centralized. I managed a bunch of artists who would get a lot of plays and a lot of downloads, and they would get these checks that are literally depressing. I had an artist get a check for 71 cents from Spotify, and he framed it just to give him motivation of you know like what these people are doing. So it's highly centralized. They have a lot of control on you know who's getting suggested to play to you, how much. There's some backdoor deals, and it's just the kind of system that we're trying to get away from. So Audius comes along and is trying to solve that problem in a you know more decentralized and blockchain way. So Audius is uh, basically a blockchain powered decentralized music streaming service with uh, social media um, aspects involved in it. And it's owned and run by open source community of artists and fans and developers and has its own native token audio, which I believe is uh, what the $6 million hack was in. Um, the platform will also reward you for certain achievements. Um, like if you're the top five trending track for the week or the month, they might airdrop you some Audius. Um, and it seems like it's it's gaining some traction. They reported that in July of 2022, they had 5.3 million uh, unique users, which is pretty impressive. Um, and Audius is really going after the group of people who are not the crypto natives, not the people who have MetaMasks and are, you know, knowing how to interact with the blockchain, but they're, you know, they boast that it's for the everyday person. And, um, you know, it's... Have uh, you used, have you used Audius? Like, I have not used it, but I have some friends who are musicians who are very into it. And it's the same friends who actually refuse to use Spotify. I'll send them a link to a new mm -hmm. band or a podcast and they'll be like, can you send that to me on YouTube? Or, you know, I just, I don't support Spotify. I've put my music into their wheel for so long and gotten these 71 cents checks. Um, it's not, it's not great for me. Um, people do seem to really like them. And, and I have noticed the same thing that they're kind of reporting that people who are not like, they're not speculators or investors in crypto, but they, they see the real benefit on just artists have been getting screwed over by these platforms for so long. Um, and so it's, Audius is content. It's it's distributed across decentralized nodes, so copyright protection cannot be enforced at this moment. So that's a big a big thing to, to think about. And uh, the protocol is currently developing an arbitration uh, system of community members who will decide whether or not to remove content. It's very interesting. I love the idea of Audius on paper. I think it's a great problem that needs to be solved. I wonder it's like social media and censorship and freedom of speech of, you know, if there's no way to um, have copyright protection, what's stopping me from uploading a, a really famous artist music and saying it's my own or, you know, breaking copyright laws and so forth. So I think that the community will be able to solve this problem eventually. But in the beginning, it's it's a very early stages um, project that's trying to solve this. But I'm definitely rooting for them. Interesting. <clears throat> I'm probably not as optimistic as you on the ability to solve that problem. Decentralized media 
you know, look at what's going on with the apes and the whatever those like cloned apes are. There's like a lawsuit going on with Yuga Labs. And like, you know, in a decentralized system, like um, content curation would become right. The like the, the answer, it would seem. So if somebody uploaded your beats and was trying to claim that they were theirs, now you have a decentralized system. But what if like you're some obscure artist or smaller artist, for example, and someone steals your beats and uploads them, you now have to rely on the audience community to take action and take action quickly, potentially like that's how, how do they know? How are they going to know that those beats were stolen from you? You're going to, you're going to have to go in and make your case. But what if you don't sit around on audience and scan every track that comes out? I mean, it's just like you just, the rabbit hole starts and it's just this endless game of cat and mouse. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I need to. I should just check out Audius. Yeah, and, and, and just because you are a community member does not mean that you understand copyright law or you understand the music business or recording rights or ASCAP and BMI. You are just a community member who might be a musician or might be somebody who really likes the project, but that doesn't mean that you're totally qualified in a good or bad way. You know, to to I guess censor the platform of what works and what doesn't. So you know, I want this to work really badly. It, but I do hear your skepticism on it, Zach. Where it's you know it's it's a it's going to be hard for uh, people to to just know exactly how to govern this properly. You know what it reminds me of in a way is the evolution of decentralized audio in the beginning, going back to um, the original peer to peer yeah. Napster stuff. And everyone's like, you know, the, the musicians and artists, uh, some of the musicians and artists are like, this is never, this is not fair. It's not going to happen. We can't, we can't do it this way. But it did force the industry's hand into the, into the streaming model, right? Like, yeah, definitely. Isn't, so, so maybe Audius doesn't have the answer necessarily or can't succeed, but you, you can't slow down now this technology, right? Decentralized, if, if, if the, Ability for people to steal other people's beats on a decentralized network cannot be stopped. Will that be the catalyst for the next evolution? Right? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that that reminds me of, uh, do you remember with Napster and Audify, Spotify, that there was that gin and juice cover? It was a Snoop Dogg cover, but no, there wasn't consensus. Some people said it was fish covering it. Some people said it was string cheese covering that. that. And it, it went viral, and everybody thought it was these different bands. It was really this band called The Gourds out of Texas who made it, but everybody mislabeled it. So it's not like fish or string cheese was trying to steal that song. Just somebody in a peer to peer manner uploaded it with the wrong name. And then it went viral. And it's still to this day, you'll get people who are like, Oh, is fish going to do that gin and juice cover again? When it was, it was really never them or they had nothing to do with it, but their name kind of is forever tied to that cover of gin and juice. That's funny, man. I remember that track, the gourds. Yeah. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is that they will maybe potentially end up not, allowing free entry into the system in such that you have to prove or identify yourself. So I was looking this week at uh, Gitcoin's passport. Have you used uh, the, the passport at all? No, that's pretty new, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, cool, cool system where you can take your Ether wallet and you can connect it to different, you're, you basically sign messages to prove that you own Twitter, GitHub, whatever, to, to create this passport or this identity on chain. 
and you're signing these messages and you store it in decentralized st user storage. So it uh, uses ceramic on the back end if you're into the identity technology stuff. And um, it's a pretty interesting way. So like if you imagine that Audius might say, hey, we're not just going to let anybody upload right? You have to have a Gitcoin passport with this number of stamps or these certain qualifying stamps that might, you know, these are the types of cat and mouse games, the restrictions that end up going into place on these kinds of systems. I sounds like you should be a community member, Zach. I think you should get involved. Hey man, I'll check it out. I don't like, Oh man, they just, I hate to sound, I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's it's really complicated problem to solve. And what happens is, is the more of these restrictions you put in place, the more closed the system becomes. Yeah, and it gets away from the decentralized nature that we want. And it, right. I think it could be one of those things where it's a very early project and a great idea, but it might take 10 years of screwing up to really get it right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. And I actually might join audience and play with it and become a community member myself because I am passionate about the problem they're trying to solve. But, you know, speaking of problems, uh, it seems like they had a pretty big problem with this hack that happened. What what'd you find out about that? All right. I had a I had a really good time looking into this one. I had been looking at some proxy contracts recently and and uh, didn't realize that I don't have a very deep understanding of how they work. And so this was an awesome opportunity for me to dig in and learn more about them. I think Probably I'll just start with the high level though and give you just a full, you know, overview of of the attack and what happened. And then I'll digress in because if I dig too much into the mechanics, low level stuff of proxy contracts and might kind of wander on for a little <laughs> little bit. But I, I do want to get into that and talk about it. But so so let's just talk like really high level what happened. Um uh, what we have here is a uh, storage collision attack on led to the deployment of a malicious governance contract. That contract allowed a massive fraudulent token delegation. So they delegated tokens to themselves, uh, which then was used, those delegated tokens were used to propose and pass a malicious governance proposal that sent them $6 million which happened to be the entire audio uh, community pool at the time. Wow. So uh, I got a question. I got to, you know, understand this while you're talking to me. Uh, is this a DAO? And can, like, anybody create a, a contract on there? Are there, like, you know, restrictions in place? Or is it, like, could you and I log on and, and create a contract that may or may not be malicious right after we get off this episode? I'm not sure if uh, Audius is a DAO. But as I understand it, and based on the, the contracts, yeah, generally in these cases, anyone can submit a governance proposal. The idea being that if it's not beneficial to the community, that it would never pass, right? Okay. And so the key here was that the attacker was able to maliciously delegate a massive trove of tokens to themselves, which is kind of interesting, right? It, they didn't steal those tokens, and then you know, and use them to vote. They just delegated. So, so how were they able to do you think to delegate? A, is that illegal? Like the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like they they forcefully took them. They just kind of used the process and, and exploited it. I mean, this is going to hit on a. It's going to hit back on a question that really I think remains open when it comes to DeFi. You have on the extreme side the code is law group. 
Then the other side, you have kind of this like, well, you know, the intent. And this was certainly not the intent, right? The, the, the intent of these contracts was not to allow someone to do this in any way, shape or form. And so it would obviously uh, be something. Eventually, we're going to see one of these. Someone's going to get caught and they're going to go to court. And we're going to see this kind of put this challenge of like, hey, the code allowed me to do this. So how did the code allow this to happen? Um, what we have with Audius in this particular case are um, it's set up behind a proxy. So proxy contracts give the ability most commonly to upgrade. So with smart contracts, they're immutable, which is a beautiful feature to have in some cases. In other cases, you, let's say, have deployed a smart contract that you later discover has a bug, you can't fix or upgrade it. So this concept of proxy contracts emerged. I think it was um, really pushed out by Open Zeppelin in 2018. I'm not 100% sure that they were like the, the originators of it, but they definitely um, were on the forefront. And there's, a at this point, a lot of different proxy patterns out there. However, um, it's not just for upgrades. There's a couple other things that it allows you to do. And, and one is to deploy uh, clone contracts more efficiently, kind of a more obscure use case for proxies, but uh, nonetheless out there. So in this particular case, now this is not for all proxy patterns out there, but what a proxy contract does is it separates the storage and the logic layers of the application. So in this particular case, you'll have a proxy contract that basically sits in front and it handles storage for the DAP and then another contract that sits on, you know, behind that proxy and that handles the logic. And so you can think about that first proxy contract, imagine that it has and it stores an address of the logic contract behind it. So you update that address on the proxy contract and that is sort of a kind of slick, interesting way to achieve upgradable contracts because your logic can now change without ever changing that base contract that people interact with or the proxy contract. So yes, this does open up to potential sketchy behavior. And if, right, if you have a trusted contract and everything looks good, but then if somebody upgrades the, the logic contract on the back end to do something that it wasn't initially intended to do or something different, then you have a problem. So of course, there's mechanisms that are put in place, including time locks and, and other things that will prevent that backend logic from being uh, altered without some type of approval or um, you know, appropriate means. So before I continue on, what do you think, Hunt? Are you, are you feeling the proxies? Does it make sense? It makes sense to me, but the questions are always running through my, my head and I'm going to let you finish this before I, I ask you the, the, the high level fun questions, but, um, yeah, you're doing a good job explaining it to the, the layman like myself. So yeah. I appreciate it. All right, cool. Let me, let me keep going. There's a little more to yeah, definitely. how this, the, the, really the root of the attack itself, <clears throat> And that, that's what I was most interested in here. There's a lot of really interesting things about this one. But um, so back to um, proxy patterns, one of the main things that you can think of when a proxy contract is in place, we could say contract A being the proxy, what it's doing is delegating those calls to contract B. And it executes the code of contract B in the context of contract A. And that becomes extremely important when it comes to the root of how this particular 
exploit was carried out. So essentially the first uh, contract is a simple wrapper or proxy which uses which users interact with directly. And it, that one's in charge of forwarding transactions to and from the second contract, which contains the logic. So instead of mapping every function one to one, what happens is, is the fallback function is leveraged. So I'm gonna probably keep this one really brief, but in Solidity, if you, if you execute or attempt to execute a function that doesn't exist on a contract, the fallback function will be executed. So that's just a general rule of how Solidity works. So if you, um, you know, attempt to execute some weird random function name on some contract, right? Sure, you can spend your gas to try and do that. Nothing's gonna, nothing would happen. There's no function there by design. This fallback function is leveraged. So this is a key part of how proxy contracts work because that fallback function essentially is used to handle all those calls. So you don't have to map everything one to one on your logic contracts. So um, maybe more information than anyone wanted or needed on how proxies work, but that's kind of like the foundation for the attack here. And so what, what happens is, is uh, storage in Solidity, you store variables and data in these storage slots. And so because of this, this concept of delegating a call to another um, transaction, right, where your proxy delegates a call, um, the storage slots on the storage contract essentially kind of look the same um, from the logic contract. And so now we enter into this kind of interesting predicament, which is, I might add, heavily documented. It's immediately um, you know, mentioned when you look at Open Zeppelin documentation around these proxy contracts, this potential for a storage collision. And so that is exactly what happened here is that the attacker was able to create a storage collision attack and they set the address. They were able to convince the proxy that it should change the address that it's looking at for the governance contracts. And so using this storage collision, it uh, essentially pointed to a new, which was uh, malicious governance contract. So they were able to kind of hijack and overtake the system by exploiting the storage collision bug. And, uh, and another way to think about this, the attacker was able to reinitialize the governance contracts, delegating a large number of governance tokens to themselves, and thus bypassing safeguards meant to limit malicious proposals. So back from the, from the highest level then, so this storage collision bug leads, uh, allows the attacker to uh, deployment of a malicious governance contract. They used that to delegate a massive number of tokens to themselves. So kind of a fraudulent delegation. So now they have massive voting power. They proposed a governance. They submitted a governance proposal to that governance contract and said, hey, uh, let why don't you all send me $6 million, everything that's in the Audius community pool, and they then voted with all their maliciously delegated tokens to send them to themselves. Wow, that is uh, wild and interesting. And uh, I, I can't believe like the way you explain it, it's complex, but then it just seems so simple in the end too. You know, it's, it's like, how, how did they let this happen? Yeah, there, there's definitely, there's some components in there that I still am a little flimsy on exactly how this storage collision, like these contracts were audited by Open Zeppelin. Everything says everything looks good. 
uh, Audius goes to open Zeppelin and says, hey, you know, um, what happened? We're being hacked. And uh, there's some, obviously, some some talk there and back and forth. And ultimately, open Zeppelin says, hey, this is not an issue in our contracts. This is an issue in how they were implemented. So I don't totally understand that part because, you know, I feel like if you audit the contracts, you would need to say, hey, look, the contracts themselves are sound, but you you could go and implement these in an extremely vulnerable way. So yeah, they just almost didn't look at the whole story. They looked at just the contracts and and is what you're saying is that like Open Zeppelin, like this is a known thing that Open Zeppelin has, has talked about this kind of like uh, attack. The, indeed, in fact, there's an EIP uh, 1967 that. Uh, is designed to prevent this attack. So when you implement it, essentially you have these storage slots between the two contracts. You it, it kind of like it uses a pseudo random storage slot so that the slots can't collide and addresses can't be or you know the space can't the storage space can't be overwritten in this way. So this is like well known, and this leads to a fascinating point or one of my takeaways about this is that these contracts were deployed in October of 2020, and this vulnerability has just been sitting live this entire time. So somebody could have done this in December of 2020 or 2021 at any point, and this still would have worked. It's just been kind of a honeypot that was sitting there. Yeah, I mean, it's just an open vulnerability. Like I feel, it, I feel like in these cases, now there's attention and focus on this. And so it almost seems like you'd see copycat attacks this week. I haven't heard of anything like that, but um, pr pretty wild. Uh, so one other, another part, because I was most, I was really interested in understanding how the storage collision worked in order to take over the governance contracts. I've kind of quickly glossed over a lot of the other steps. The final piece, just to bring it all full circle, the $6.1 million worth of audio tokens, they went to Uniswap V2 and just immediately exchanged them, incurring massive slippage to the tune of, uh, what is that? Like, they only got, basically they got a um, million dollars worth of ETH, 704 ETH. Hmm. So what, like, they, they, they literally lost $5 million on that trade and um, speed was more important than the money to them, I guess. Sent it right to Tornado Cash. Yeah. So I, I was listening to a really interesting discussion this week um, where a guy was talking about how, you know, looking at understanding like uh, human behavior and emotion when it comes to finance. And I was thinking about that in regards to attacks and exploits and things. And if you look at this, it's like, what would cause someone to, to rush into doing that? Well, it's like, you know, think about their mind state at that time. Maybe they didn't think this hack was going to work. They were just like kind of trying random shit. Their adrenaline's pumping and they're just like sweating profusely yep. because they just got millions of dollars. And they're like, it worked. And this was like, so simple. How did this work? And they're like, well, what should we do? Like, I don't care. Let's get rid of it quickly. Like as soon as, as soon as news gets out, maybe, um, the, the whole response to this attack is also really fascinating. And there's a great audience did a really nice write up. I think they handled it really well. Sam uh, CZ Sun got involved, who's, you know, like the, the legendary um, crypto white hat um, from Paradigm. 
and you know he was involved and this thing it, it happened quickly so because the vulnerability actually allowed they exploited the the vulnerability to patch it right there's a whole story behind that which we're not going to probably get into you know here um but it is worth looking into if you're interested in this check out the audius article the the, the post-mortem write-up um on how it was handled but yeah i uh like you know why why do that why sell it so much so quickly maybe they knew maybe they thought hey they're gonna they're gonna see that they could you know um I don't know. Like, could, could they have forked it or something? You know, kind of like what happened with Ethereum and, and kind of rolled back if they wanted to. Um, could they have forked like the governance contracts? Yeah. And like rolled back to a week ago before this happened. No, and fix it? no, nothing like that. Um, you, you would need like a protocol level fork and that, ain't, that definitely isn't going to happen here. So, so I have a question for you is like, so you said there might be copycat attacks on the other end. Do you think that there's a lot of, you know, governance token protocols, DAOs that are, are all like now covering their bases to be like, shit, do we have this vulnerability? Can we make sure that this didn't happen? And, you know, like I, I would hope that people learn from this and then kind of everybody gets stronger and this hack becomes uh, so well known that it's less possible. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the hope, right? I had not heard of storage collisions with proxies. Again, I haven't looked much into proxies, so I wasn't aware of these uh, previous to this event. And I would think that most black hats and white hats that are really focused on uh, blockchain, solidity, security stuff would have been aware of this. So why I just, that's one thing I can't understand. There, I They mentioned this Lindy principle, this concept that the longer that something is out there and existing um, non-organic not like humans or people that can die but things the longer they're out there the more likely they are to persist it being out there like the probability is higher so you know a year goes by that a vulnerable contracts out there the probability is high that it will remain up for another year kind of thing yeah and i yeah i mean you would think now that other black hats saw this and they're out there looking around but as for your question about dows I'm guessing no. It's sad but true that okay, it's it seems to be sad but true to me that like there just aren't there's so many things going on in a DAO and there's so few people focused specifically on the security. Yeah. They get those audits, they get everything up and running, and I doubt there's too many people going, Oh wow, like we need to check into this. That's a really good point. They get the audits and I bet they assume they're bulletproof. They're like, Okay, we got the audits. Well, you know, these contracts were audited and it wasn't the the contract's fault that this happened. It was kind of like the structure of the whole thing. And I think it's interesting that you say that, you know, most white hats or black hats in the space would, would understand this. You know, I don't know how much I know about this, but I consider you, you know, the most about security out of any of my friends or colleagues in this space. And, and you were also saying that it's kind of new to you. So, you know, maybe people are learning. And I, I think it, it, it's probably pretty assumed that there are not enough really qualified, good security people in this space yet. You know, like, like it's, it's, they're few and far between and the ones that are really good are really in demand and you need to compensate them really well to get them on your team. Definitely. I mean, that's that you see that problem even in, uh, you know, I guess traditional, I don't know what you want to call it. Web two outside of web three, there's, there's been a shortage of security professionals for quite a while. And there's all these funny stories about 
the FBI lifting their restrictions on on uh, drug testing applicants and things <laughs> for for their hackers because they they just like couldn't find enough people. Are those stories true about FBI knocking on people's door, catching them for doing hacks, and saying you're in big trouble or here's a job offer you know you either work for us or we're prosecuting you is that is that out of the movies or is uh or do you think that's true i mean it is true there's there's you know pretty accurate factual um reports of this stuff the the first one that comes to mind is the the lull sec guy sabu and uh, he yeah they they flipped them i mean that's that's basic even before hacking and stuff right like sure. that's what they do is they can it makes sense. I think, I guess for them, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know a ton about how all that stuff works, but they um, <laughs> you know more than me, dude. I know, I know what happened with that dude. And I know that they flipped him and they had him communicating and trying to collect information and pretending, um, you know, but like with him, he disappeared for like a month and then he reappeared online and people were like, yeah. yo dude, don't trust that guy. So I've asked you this before just to like wrap up on this topic, but I've, you know, one being a really brute force, not that educated attack and 10 being one of the most educated, smart, elegant attacks. Where does this attack, uh, sit with you on like, you know, was this kind of elementary or was this like pretty sophisticated? Mm. So I would go, my first thought was like a seven or eight. Wow. Yeah, because these, I think in five years, you know, there will be educational material. It'll be like, oh, wow, these types of attacks, you know, aren't that hard. Like if you look at the transaction that kicked this thing off, like I was, I was looking at it earlier and I was thinking, God, that's fucking crazy. Just this little um, string of bytes, you know, in, initiated this whole thing. Um, this whole chain of events on chain, but um, down the road, I don't think it's going to be looked at as like once it's known, but you know, these types of, a, um, you know, how to execute, for example, a storage collision attack. Yeah. So right. In five years, there's going to be a playbook. There's going to be, you know, university courses and security courses and your, your average, you know, person learning about blockchain security will be familiar with storage collisions and proxies, or maybe it will even be outdated. Okay. And, you know, because what's happening is that this method or style of proxy contract, there's, there's an evolution. I think there were, I think it was like called like beacon proxies or something. So there's, there's different, um, it's evolving. And so maybe this isn't going to be around, this type of proxy won't be around in five years, but um, it's just so clever. Like two years, uh, October, 2020 more, right? That this thing, no, not quite two years, um, that these contracts were live and you know, that, but no one else saw this. Yeah, that's wild. Two years might as well be 10 years in the crypto world. And so to, to make sure I understand it, you're saying it's probably a seven or an eight of a um, hack right now, but maybe in five years, it's like a two and people will be like, oh, that's so elementary. Like you didn't protect yourself against that. Like that's in every security textbook we've ever seen. So um, yeah, I think so. And, and you, if you look at uh, the Open Zeppelin documentation on proxies, it's like literally almost the first thing they mention is EIP 1667, how to do this. So I, that that's why I'm a little confused as to how this was, how it could be implemented in this way and nobody 
you know, uh, to be fair, Audius said that, you know, once the contracts were deployed, they hadn't really done anything with the contracts in, in a couple of years. So they, you know, they had to get, when this, when this attack happened, they had to like refamiliarize themselves. And, um, you know, I don't know how long it's been on there on the open Zeppelin page, but there's even like a custom warning saying, Hey, unless you understand the deep mechanics of the EVM theory and virtual machine and these other concepts, like you should not be using these proxy contracts. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think would have happened if they, uh, if this person decided to be a white hat instead of being a black hat and basically said, you know what, instead of me stealing this million dollars and liquidating it with all the slippage, do you think they would have given him a similar amount of money if he just kind of contacted Audius and was like, hey, I can own you for these six million audio tokens right now. I'm not going to do it, but I would love some kind of bounty. Like, do you think that they would have like received that well or they would have been like thanks for telling us about it but get out of here um i can speculate the best i can do is speculate and i'm i'm gonna say that it it doesn't work out well for you yeah so i've reported vulnerabilities directly before and you would think that i i don't know like i stopped because it was like like somebody threatened to report me that's the fbi and i was like yo like i'm like i'm just i'm trying to help you i wasn't asking for money i wasn't there was nothing even sketchy i was like hey check this out like your entire uh all your customer data is like available here's how (laughs) here's how i got it i I wasn't even like it, it was so simple it wasn't even like i was out there trying to hack them and the guy was like i'm calling the fbi on you and i was like wow. well i'm done and i walked away to, to me that like reminds me of like it's like somebody finding a wallet with a 100 bucks in it and you hand it back to the guy and they're so thankful that you didn't steal their credit cards or try to do a bunch of that that they take 20 bucks out and they say thank you so much you know like yep. you could have stolen a 100 bucks you could have never given my wallet back like i and, don't have to do this but here's 20. and every yeah it's a common you'll you'll hear that idea like out there, like, dude, if they would have just reported it. Okay, so let's take it to another level. Let's say you pull off the exploit, you move the money, you move all the audio tokens like into a new contract and the contract has some message embedded in it. Like, hey, I'm giving all this back. I just, I wanted to, I noticed this vulnerability. I wanted to show that it would, you know, I didn't want to go and say, hey, it's maybe possible to you and you wouldn't believe me i needed to prove it before Mm -hmm. someone else did it and i'm going to give all this back to you like how much you know will you give me a bounty for that right and you would think like man that 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 could be cool like that's a nice way to do it but it just doesn't play out like that you would be surprised how people respond like no man like give me give us back the six million like we're not going to give you anything or yeah give them let's say we're going to give them uh give us back the money We'll give you a bounty. Now you've got this bounty and you could send it through Tornado Cash. You could try and obfuscate the trail uh, right to getting that bounty. But it's like you it's it's not as clean of a process as you might think yeah. of trying to do that. So really, you you have to like I think the only route for white hats in this case is private communication, um, you, you know, and, and so what used to happen in the Web2 world is like. There, there's something called like responsible disclosure and you would report a vulnerability to the organization through a certain way. And then if they didn't act on it after a certain amount of time, there was this list called full disclosure and you would just like drop, people would just like drop 
you know, the vulnerabilities there and, and the thought being that, well, now that it's public, like they're going to have to fix it kind of thing, yeah. right? Fix it or be owned. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I would hope there'd be a better process for that in the future and maybe that'll that'll come around. But that's that's one of the things that I've always liked about the crypto space is that it, people are constantly trying to attack these these protocols and they get stronger every day by these things. And, you know, like if Audius, if this had been white hatted, Audius would be considered stronger today you know, if they'd fix this on their own than they were two years ago and it would have been like everybody wins, they compensate the hacker. But it's kind of a shame to hear that, you know, people have had experiences with people threatening to call the FBI when they're they're just trying to do uh, do the good the good thing. I think we need to uh, encourage more white hats. Yeah, I am fascinated by the idea of prediction markets being used as indicators for um, future vulnerabilities and exploits. Ooh. So if you had a, a specific prediction market dedicated and let's say this guy discovered this, this vulnerability, instead of acting on the vulnerability, he jumps to that prediction market and places a $10,000 bet. Now, okay, that assumes he has money, which he may or she may not, we don't know, right? Um, but in this case, right, it is an interesting thing. And it's like all of a sudden someone's like, whoa, someone just placed a massive bet that there's a vulnerability in the audience smart contracts and now you sort of have this like this weird i don't know what happens i'm not saying it's a great idea but it is something that i've been thinking about for a while and uh i like that idea it's outside the box and like unproven but i think it's uh pretty interesting to think about for sure one of these days man i feel like prediction markets are gonna hit i'm still surprised they have been saying that and i do believe you dude but you have been saying that for five years and i i really also agree with you that prediction markets are going to be a thing um the humans love to speculate on anything and prediction markets literally allow you to speculate on anything how many inches of rain you know whatever you want anything that's data driven so yeah yeah dude so that was a good dive into Audius. I was thinking about talking about this crazy password manager nightmare. Should we just record a whole nother one of the password? Because like you started telling me about the password manager nightmare, and it like it's pretty interesting. And I almost don't want to like not give it justice by like not being able to like really go into it. And we're we're already running a little long here, so maybe we'll jump into what we were thinking about just as a as a quick tie up new feature for the week of like uh, yeah, who, who tried to own you this week? Yeah, I want to ask you Zach because like? like I feel like you're. Uh, always seeing these kind of things. I see some kind of elementary ones, but like, did did anybody try to own you this week? What happened? Oh, I mean, yes, numerous, and and it's all. I'm fairly certain that it all links back to this ledger breach. Unfortunately, oh my god, you've been dealing with that for also four years. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. So what I get are text messages. Usually, it was on um, WhatsApp for a while. I don't even use WhatsApp. I've, I have it, but then I don't use it. And then, like, I would get messages there. So the the scam, if you haven't seen it, is that they message you and they pretend like they got the wrong number. Oh, hey, is this Johnny? And you're like, no. And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to message my friend Johnny and this type of thing. And so I got a number of those. I got I got one. Um, actually, it would be really fun to read it now that I've we've kind of conceptualize this segment i will not um block and delete these but um because i after i uh sometimes i'm pretty mean to him i'm not gonna lie i think i told this this um well she claimed she was a 22 year old woman and i was like yeah okay so send me a um send me a picture right now and you know that says this text on it with a you know write a piece of paper that says this message which of course 
uh, they were not going to do. Sure. She's like, you're crazy. And um, and I was like, yeah, well, obviously you're trying to scam me. And then I think I proceeded to tell them some choice words about how they're going to die and no one's going to love them. And they were just like, oh, God. They're always, it's always that 22-year-old, you know, beautiful female that just happens to be randomly messaging my, you know, 37-year-old male self, you know, to talk about the weather or, you know, Bitcoin. I know, I know. So, yeah, I got a bunch of those this week. Those are the main ones. And they're starting to evolve. I feel like the, the scam's changing a bit. And, um, yeah, until I get around to changing my number i mean yeah i don't know that sucks man the ledger breach it it really like i feel empathy for anyone else that was a part of that thing because it's like it's never um the the email scams that come to that address that was linked everything it's just like and you're you're good with your opsec and you know you've taught me a lot throughout the years about what i need to be doing with mine and the fact that you know they own some information with more than just an email um is just shows that anybody can can get got so stay it's good to stay uh, vigilant out there and yeah instead of i used to get kind of mad at these phishing attacks and scams and and now i, I kind of laugh and, and maybe do some not as much as you but do something similar to mess with these people a little bit and just uh you know make their day a little bit more annoying for trying to rob people usually i just block and ignore but occasionally i just can't help it well, now engage now you got to do something to, now you got a screenshot bro because we got this segment some, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about it we'll get some good ones for next week cool all right y'all uh thanks for tuning in we are much uh, very appreciative to have your ears for this little bit of time and we will probably put together a sequence again. Yeah, don't forget about that Zevo sequence. Sequence. Um, I think we had a, somebody do it last week, or a couple people. And I don't know if there's a, you know, any uh, incentive still left. But you know, filling out this would help us out a lot, and also help Zach uh, get Zevo off the ground. So uh, do it if you're out there. Do it. Hit the show notes. You'll see it in there. Peace. Peace.